Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Start taking notes. The title of my message today is This Isn't Fair. This Isn't Fair. How many of you have heard your children yell this recently? This isn't fair. Uh, I have three kids uh, with my wife Gretchen, and we have two boys. I was going to say little boys, but they're not really that little anymore. Uh, Cohen is is taller than his mom, and uh, and Zeke is catching up. And we we assign our kids chores in our family. It's just how we roll. And sometimes my boys get partnered up on a chore. Right? They get assigned. The same chore, you guys are both supposed to join forces and do this thing together. And sometimes when they partner up on a chore, a fight breaks out. And predictably, you probably know why this is. The reason why a fight breaks out is because I will go out and they're arguing over who is doing more, right? Who, like, we're supposed to be sharing this chore and they're arguing over, like, you know, I'm doing more than he's doing and it's not fair. And usually the person that is, feels like they're doing more is whoever it is I'm talking to at the moment because they always assume that they're giving more. And I go out and I try and break up these fights and it's something just like, you know, well, you know, yeah, I'm, he's not doing anything, you know? And, uh, and then the other kid's like, well, I'm helping. And it's like, well, you're not helping enough. And it's like, well, how come you're just standing there? Well, I already did my part. Well, that's because your part wasn't that hard. I can't help it if I'm really good at the part I was given, Okay. You were given the easiest part. You didn't even really do that much. Well, that's the part that you chose. I didn't choose it. You tricked me into it. You're gaslighting me. I'm like, how do you even know what that word means? No more YouTube, you guys. It's getting weird out there. And I mean, these, these sorts of arguments are really difficult to sort of break up because oftentimes, like, I don't know what deal they made. I don't know what equity looks like. They're different kids with different skill sets and um, it's tough, and I think this is tough in a lot of situations because, um, you know, we believe that work should be divided evenly. Like, most of us, if we were polled, we were like, yes, things should be fair, and if people are assigned to do something together, everything should be equal. And we believe this, at least in theory, it just doesn't work out that way in reality. Like, even in your adult relationships, uh, nothing really ever is completely fair and equitable, it's sort of the way the world works. Like every relationship that you have ever had is somewhat lopsided. One person ends up doing more or working harder than the other person. And of course, when this happens in your life, the person who is working harder and doing more is obviously you. <laughs> it's the other person who's phoning it in. It's the other person who isn't doing enough. You ever played that game uh, with your spouse that game, uh, Who's More Tired? Anybody ever played that game? It's so great. Um, basically what you do is you like list out um, everything you're doing and how hard you're working and why that means you deserve a break more than they do. How many of you have ever played this game before? Okay, maybe even on the way here, you know? No, 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 because I'm doing all this. Oh yeah, well you think that's tough. I've been doing all this stuff, right? And um, the great thing about this game is that nobody ever wins, um, but you do both end up angry and bitter at each other. And so it's, it's so fantastic. It's so good at making you hate the person that you chose to spend the rest of your life with. 
And we know it doesn't work. We keep playing it over and over and over again. But for all the couples that do this, I think that there are even more who, who feel like this, but they, you know, they don't really fight about it because they don't even see the point in having the conversation of, you know, I feel like I do more. I feel like you're not contributing. I feel like this isn't equitable because they don't imagine that anything is ever really gonna change. And so they just sort of shove their frustration about it down and they just sort of keep pushing through. But here's the problem with that. And maybe you've experienced this before. When we overgive and overserve over and over again, we end up getting bitter and resentful. In fact, we, we, we become disconnected from how truly emptied and exhausted uh, we really are. And, uh, you know, that just doesn't mean that we, we always stop doing what we're doing. We just keep doing it, but we do it with anger and aggression and annoyance, which is the best way to serve people you love. <laughs> they love it, you love it. Why we just, we get in that frustrated place where we just keep going through the motions and we're just like, no one appreciates me, no one will help me, even though I didn't ask them to, okay? And I probably would say no if they offered, even though I want their help, but I would tell them no. We get into these weird sort of cycles. And a lot of people who live this, they don't really even talk about it. They just quietly carry it around. You know where this does come up though? Therapy. In fact, um, I was reading a book recently where this uh, well-known Christian counselor published the most common complaints he hears from his clients. And this is like an amalgam of like the top two things. And I just wanna read these to you and see if you see a glimpse of yourself in this. These are the top two things that people gripe about um, about their relationships when they go to therapy. The first one is this, I can't do this anymore. All I do is give. I pour myself into everyone else until there's nothing left. I don't even know who I am anymore outside of just doing whatever they need. And they don't appreciate it. They just expect it. I feel exhausted, depleted, and cheated. And the other one is this. No one gets how hard or draining my job is. I feel like I'm giving 110% at work and 110% at home, but my family acts like my 110% at home barely registers as 15%. And the only contributions my partner counts are doing whatever it is they do just like them, which makes me feel like a failure. And not only do we get into these battles inside of our family of, you know, I'm doing more than you're doing, but like, what does contribution in this family even mean? And which contributions are valuable? And are some more valuable than others? And like, which things do we count? And which things do we praise? And which things do we appreciate inside of this family? And for everyone who says stuff like this in counseling, I think there's way more who don't even go to counseling because they're just like, what is it gonna do? Why would I even go? Because in their mind, it's just like, I've been told so many times, this is just how it is. You know, family requires sacrifice, all right? I don't know what to tell you. It's hard. We're all tired. You are not special. You are not more important than the rest of us. So stop complaining. Stop being so emotional. Suck it up. Family first. Some of you have gotten this speech many times growing up. Some of you gave it this morning. Um, 
we frequently throw this around. And for some of us, uh, these feelings that it develops inside of us of just like there is not, no, there's no limit to what we could do and no matter how much we do, it's never enough. And for some of us, it's even worse because we're convinced that this isn't just the way it is, it's the way that God wants it to be, the way that God wants us to be. Like we're supposed to sacrifice and lay down our lives for each other, right? Like isn't that what all the verses, you know, those verses in the Bible are about? Like let me just give you some examples of verses that would lead us to think this way. Romans chapter 12, verse one says this, give your bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Luke chapter nine, verse 23, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow. Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, don't be selfish. Don't just look out for your own interests but for the interests of others too. And I think it's easy to isolate individual verses like this and assume that this is what God is looking for from us. That, that all God wants is just unquestioned, one-sided sacrifice. And if this is what you think about God, I think that you're likely to wind up bitter and angry at God too. Because I think what these passages are actually doing is presenting us with a paradox. The paradox is this, like you, you can't have a great relationship without sacrifice, but if you sacrifice everything you are, there's nothing left to relate to. You become a shell of a person. And one thing I want you to understand before we get any deeper into this subject matter today is that, you know, God doesn't want you to erase or ignore who you really are. God made you. God likes you. He, he just wants you to understand that your life isn't just about you. Sometimes I think we think that God is a tyrant or a dictator or some sort of a slave master, but this isn't who God is. Like God simply invites us to serve others in response to the way in which he serves us. And the sort of sacrifice that the New Testament invites us into is one that looks like this. Let me just give you an accurate New Testament definition of sacrifice. Sacrifice is essentially this. It's to willingly lay down or leverage what's yours for the sake of loving and lifting up someone else. That's sacrifice. And I wanna draw your attention to this like little pesky word at the beginning, willing. Willing, it's key. And this is the thing I want you to understand. Sacrifice is a choice. You know what's not? Slavery. In other words, Something isn't a sacrifice if you never had the option to say no. In fact, when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus wasn't forced to lay down his life. He chose to lay down his life. But some of us, we don't serve the people around us because we want to. We do it because we feel like we have to. We are not willingly serving them as much as we are bitterly martyring ourselves for them. And this is why some of us get stuck in cycles of over-serving, over-giving, and over-extending. We become 
quietly bitter and angry and resentful, breaking down, blowing up, blaming others. And then we get to that point where we've just had enough. And so we disengage and we disappear altogether until those feelings of loneliness and uselessness push us to reluctantly re-engage, still without any boundaries, of course, and repeat the same cycle all over again and again and again. And I think this happens to the best of us. So what do we do about it? I have no idea. Let's close in prayer and get our picture taken with Darth Vader. (laughs) Lord, I... I want to give you an example from arguably the most famous person in the Old Testament who struggled with the same exact thing, of just not knowing how to draw boundaries, where to draw boundaries, how not to be walked all over by the people that he cares about most. And it's found in the book of Exodus, chapter 18. And it's a story of this guy named Moses, who is arguably one of the most spiritual people who ever lived. It says this in verse 13 of chapter 18. Moses sat to hear the people's disputes against each other. He's like the leader of these people. There's thousands of people, and they would come to him for advice. It says, from morning until evening, he did this. And when Moses' father-in-law, who was visiting, saw all Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What a great question. Because I think a lot of us see what other people are doing and we offer advice to them without having any clue about what they're trying to accomplish. Anybody ever done this for you? They're like, you know what? I wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> you know, if you did it this way, you could accomplish this. And you're like, that's not what I'm trying to accomplish. So that doesn't really work for me because we're not really paying attention and we haven't really done our homework and we haven't really invested in the relationship to know what someone is trying to achieve to see if that's actually what they're trying to achieve. And I gotta tell you, good advice aimed at the wrong objective is bad advice. Some of us are like, I gave them such good advice. Yeah, if they were trying to accomplish a different thing, that's not what they're trying to do. And in this story, Jethro is so incredibly wise, the father-in-law. He asked the right questions before offering any suggestions. And what makes it even more brilliant is that I think as helpful as it was for Jethro to hear the answer to this question, like, what are you trying to accomplish? It's even more helpful for Moses to wrestle with the question himself. And so here's what I wonder about you. Like, in your life, in this season that you're in right now, what are you trying to accomplish? Have you thought about that recently? Because some of us are just doing things. We've just established a pattern, a rhythm in life. And we're like, I gotta do this, then I gotta go there, and I gotta make this thing happen. Why? It's just what I do. It's just, I mean, I've been doing it, and it's a lot of doing. And uh, is it working? What are you trying to accomplish? No idea, but I gotta keep going. I don't have time to answer that kind of question. And a lot of us find ourselves in this space. We're just doing what we think we have to do. We don't stop to ask what our doing is actually accomplishing, and if that accomplishment is even something we want to achieve in our lives. And then Jethro asked this question in the second half of verse 14. Why are you trying to do this alone while everyone else stands around from morning till evening? 
What a great question. In other words, is this the wisest way to accomplish your objectives? Like, have you even thought about what it is you're trying to accomplish in your life, in your family, in the season? And if you can answer that question, what about the second question? Is this the wisest way to accomplish your objectives? You doing all the work. It seems ineffective and exhausting. And I bring this up because I think a lot of families work this same way. Right? Like, when you read this passage about Moses, you're like, that feels oddly familiar. One person does most of the work while everyone else stands around. Some of you moms are like, have you been spying on my family? <laughs> that is what it feels like to be me. And this is the case with, I think, a lot of people. You have one person who tends to be prone to want to serve and give and nurture and care for the others. And maybe they even are prone to over-serving and over-giving like Moses is. And the thing that Jethro knows that I, I want you to know this morning is that if for your family to regularly win, one of you has to regularly lose, you will all eventually lose when you lose them. And we don't think about this when we are sort of going through life and going through the motions and relying on somebody else who's picking up the slack for us so we don't have to. And I gotta tell you, um, some of you are like, well, when you lose them, you mean if? And I'm like, no, when? Because you will lose them one way or another. They'll either leave or die or just hate you. I'm not sure which one is worse. Sometimes people physically leave. Sometimes they just mentally and emotionally check out. They become a shell of themselves. And that's just as horrible. And Jethro is trying to get Moses to admit that his lifestyle isn't working. And so he asks him, why do you keep doing this to yourself? And this is what Moses says in response to this. This is amazing. He says, why do you keep doing this to yourself? And Moses replies, because. I mean, that's enough, right? For some of us, we're just like, because. Don't ask me stupid questions. Then he goes into it a little further. When a dispute arises, the people come to me, and I am the one who settles this case between quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees, and I give them his instructions. Moses is like, why do I do it? They need me. I have to. I am the only one who can do this, and I hate how much they need me. And also, I kind of love it. So I'm probably just gonna keep complaining without changing anything about my life and actions. And I wonder like how many of us get caught in this same trap? This is so incredibly common that those who overgive and overserve often feel like I can't stop because if I don't do it, who will? And that's a valid point. But here's what I want you to understand. If like Moses, this is your tendency. Most people won't work to become competent at something someone else is capable of and content to do for them. Why would I try and do something for myself if you're willing to do it and you're good at it and it costs me nothing? Well, because it's hard for me. Who cares, right? This is somewhat the approach 
of most of us in life. Like as long as somebody else will take care of it, we'll allow them to take care of it. And it's not a great arrangement. In verse 17, Jethro responds to this sort of explanation or excuse that Moses gives. He says this, this is not good. I love how subtle he is. Moses' father exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Jethro's like, what are you doing? I know that you love these people. I know you feel a responsibility for them, but you are not meant to do all this alone. You are killing yourself. And also, you're cheating these people in the process. I know it's not your intention, but you need to think about where this is headed. What your behavior is creating in you, which is a lot of frustration, exhaustion, anger, bitterness, and in them, it's creating a lot of laziness, a lot of lack of even developing into adults themselves. I don't know that it's working. Jethro's trying to get him to understand, like, yes, love does require sacrifice, but sacrifice does not require burnout. And that's where you're headed. And some of us get this confused. We're like, isn't that what love is? You love someone so much that you hate your own life and end up hating them in the process because you give so much. I love you so much that I've given so much that I now hate you. I hope you're happy <laughs> with my love. Ugh. And here's what's crazy. Jethro's warning Moses about burnout. And, and what is interesting is that we actually know what happens when Moses burns out. In Numbers chapter 20, uh, there's this story about where he's exhausted and annoyed with the people that he's leading. And so God tells him to do something to serve them. And he does it, but he does it angrily. Anybody ever been there? And then God disciplines him for it. And this is basically what God says in his disciplinary speech to him. He's like my, my, my sort of like condensed version of this. He basically is saying, you're not taking care of yourself and you are taking that fact out on everyone else and that's not okay. And I think that this idea here that Jethro is trying to express to Moses is something that God has always wanted us to understand in sort of living in relational harmony with each other. This is why Jesus tells us famously in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, love your neighbor as yourself. I think a lot of times we, we like to edit this verse on the fly and misread it by subbing the word as, love your neighbor as yourself for words like instead of. Love your neighbor instead of yourself. Love your neighbor more than yourself. Love your neighbor to the detriment of yourself. And so instead of serving each other graciously, we enslave ourselves to them bitterly and we make everybody pay. I think taking this verse, this, this wisdom from Jesus seriously means that we place a high value on ourselves and a high value on the people around us. Like to do this accurately means I don't see the people around me, the people in my family as better or worse than me. I see them as my 
equal. And in the context of family, it really means this. And I want you to capture this today if you get nothing else. Healthy family members invest in caring for themselves as much as they do in caring for everyone else. Healthy family members invest in caring for themselves as much as they do in caring for everyone else. And man, some of us, we err on one side and others of us err on the other side. Like this means that I don't just take care of myself and ignore you, that's selfishness. It also means that I don't just take care of you and ignore myself, that's self-betrayal. I take care of myself and then I do what I can to take care of you. And sometimes that means saying no to myself so I can say yes to you. And sometimes it means saying no to you because I need to say yes to myself. And some of you are thinking like, well, that, that's selfish. No, that's not selfishness, that's self-care. And this is like a buzzword that gets thrown around. I think most people don't know what it means. They just think it's when mom gets angry and needs wine and a facial. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and that may be some of the methodology, okay? But it really sort of shortcuts or short circuits the actual definition. So I want to give you an actual biblical definition of this. Self-care means to take full adult responsibility for your own needs, desires, health, and well-being. To take full adult responsibility for your own needs, desires, health, and well-being. And a lot of people don't do this. Let me tell you something that is true and probably a little bit triggering and frustrating. Some of you are like, you mean more stuff that's like that? Because this whole sermon right now feels a little, a little too much for me. But here's what I've noticed. Every exhausted person I've ever met is complicit in creating and sustaining their own exhaustion. They blame everybody else, but it's because they don't want to take full adult responsibility for their own needs, desires, health, and well-being. And we don't want to admit when we're in this place. But I got to tell you, to shirk responsibility for your own story is to play the victim, and that is not who you are. It's not who you're made to be. Now, you may have been victimized at some point in your life, but you are not a victim. That's not who you are. And I gotta tell you, even though it's easy to look around and the stage of life and the, the frustrations you're experiencing and the overwhelmedness and maybe the place that lacks physical, emotional, spiritual, mental health at this moment in your life, nobody else is gonna swoop in and make that better for you. Because the reality of it is, nobody can draw the appropriate boundaries in your life but you. It's nobody else's job to do that for you. You, you know the people that I actually draw boundaries for in my life? It's only one set of people. My children, when they're too young to do it for themselves. And hopefully, I'm teaching, training, and empowering them to be able to do it for themselves one day. And some of us, we are sort of in this place as children where we're hoping that some parental figure will swoop in, take responsibility for our story, and draw the boundaries for us that only we 
can draw for ourselves. And it's not going to happen. The people around you can encourage and empower you, but they can't do it for you. And Jethro is telling Moses something really tough. Something that like maybe some of you are hearing this morning, right? He's saying to him, you, like I know you're stressed out, but you created this situation. But here's the thing, you're not doomed. There is a solution. And this is what he tells me to do. Exodus chapter 18, verse 20 says this. Teach the people God's decrees, give them his instructions, and show them how to conduct their lives. <clears throat> Jethro, essentially, he starts with validation. You're right. You know why you feel like you have to do this thing for these people? Because you do. At least right now. They don't know how to do it for themselves yet. But your job is to train them so they eventually can. And that's a process, and it's one you're reluctant to start. And then he outlines in this short little verse the three components of this process. To teach, instruct, and show. And I want to just unpack like what this is, because I think this is brilliant. I think this is one of the most brilliant things in all of scripture, and we get it in the book of Exodus. God was on fire. Like chapter, it was like the second book. This is insane. To teach is essentially to say like, here are the values, right? This is like theoretical knowledge. Like here's what we care about. Here's what we build our lives according to. Then instructing is here are the principles. Like this is the practical stuff. Like, so this is what we value, but here's sort of practically how those values play out. And then they're showing, right, or modeling. And this is like, here are the practices, right? So the things that we value, there are principles that help us to understand how that works in the real world. And then there are certain ways that we have to practice that, things that we have to do and get our hands dirty. And this is the experiential component. And essentially, Jethro is telling Moses, like, you want to get out of the situation that you're in where you feel like you're doing it all by yourself and nobody can help you and you're trapped and you're like, you need to do it and you kind of like, like it, but you're also upset all the time. You need to teach, instruct, and show. You need to outline the values, principles, and practices. You need to give these people theoretical knowledge, practical knowledge, and experiential knowledge, or you will never be able to hand off the things that you're carrying around and you need to because you were not meant to do all of it on your own. So how does this work out? Like, let me just give you like a real life example of this. Let's say that like in your family, maybe you value humility, compassion, and service. Those are great things to value. Fantastic, right? But you ever like interacted with somebody and they have these like, they're like, these are our family values. See how we stencil them above the fireplace? And you're like, that's so cool. What does that mean? They're like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys do that? Not sure. We're trying. Uh, how do you try? Well, we did the stencil. I don't know. Did you, did you see the stencil? We did that part. Um, these things are broad, right? And so they have to be brought to life. So how do you value those things, right? There has to be some action involved. You need principles to help you apply those values. And so maybe a, uh, like a, a, a principle, like one specific principle to help you live out the values of humility, compassion, and services, like this principle of, and this is something that we take seriously in our house. We take ownership of how our behavior affects other people. This is part of how we live out the values 
of compassion and humility and service. But how do you do that in a real life situation? And you're gonna need to practice like a way that you can actually experience that or live that in the real world. And like, again, a real example from our family is like how we approach apologies. Like you realize that something that you did wounded somebody else, even if you didn't intend for it to. And the, the formula or the practice of apology in our family is, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Please forgive me. What can I do to make it right? I'm sorry that I hurt you. I realize that the things that I say and do have an impact on the people around me, and I don't mean to do damage to other people. And so if I hurt you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Like, I actually want our relationship to be okay. And furthermore, like, I'm gonna take responsibility for the things that I did and can do better to not be this presence in your life that's constantly making your life worse. I wanna make your life better. And so what can I do to make things right. That's the practice. And I would say that in any environment, you will probably have a couple values. You'll have a few more principles that, that grow out of each of those values. And you will have um, several practices of like how you're going to live that thing out. Um, and I would also say that your values are the parts of your family or your organization or whatever that are the most stable. And the practices are the things that are the most flexible, depending on the season or the context. And honestly, this process that Jethro outlines is the best way to build leaders. It's the best way to disciple believers. It's the best way to raise children. For some of you, um, I just saved you a whole bunch of money because it's like a parenting course, an MBA, and a discipleship plan all in one. Jethro is a genius, which you would not assume based on that name. I am from the Midwest. I have some family members named Jethro. Not this brilliant. But they can replace the transmission on anything. I will tell you that much about those guys. Because the goal of all three of these things, whether you're talking about business, discipleship, child raising, is to teach those following you how to do what you're doing for them for themselves. And maybe when you're looking at this sort of formula, you're thinking to yourself, like, that sounds like it's going to take a lot of time, effort, and energy. Because I, I'm just going to guess that people might catch on, not catch on right away. They're probably going to misunderstand. They're going to make some mistakes. They're going to get it wrong. They're going to have to be corrected and redirected. That just, like, sounds like so much. You know what would be easier? If I just keep doing it all, all by myself or everyone else. But isn't that what got you into this predicament in the first place? You're overwhelmed, they're underutilized. I gotta tell you, whether you like it or not, this is an unwavering principle of growth and maturity. To get to a place that is better for you all in the long term requires you commit to a process that's harder in the short term. But Jethro tells Moses that if we and he stick with it, that this is the result. Exodus chapter 18, verse 23. He says, if you follow this advice, you'll be able to endure the pressure and all the people will go home in peace. And man, when I read that the first time, I just thought like, man, that's what I want to do. Isn't this the goal? I think that most of us have. 
Like we want the ability to face hard things, to endure the pressure. And man, trying to juggle your family and romance and finances and your job, it's a lot of pressure. I wanna be able to, to face difficult things. I wanna be able to endure the pressure. And I want the people connected to me, including myself, to go home in peace. And it requires that we actually become aware of what our tendencies are in our relationships. And some of us, that tendency is to over-serve. And for some of us, it is to underserve and let somebody else carry the weight for us. And this is not the way we were designed to live. And so here's my challenge to you. This week, I want you to ask your family. I want you to have this conversation with your family and, and probably some of your friends. And ask them this. Like, ask them if they think that you are uh, someone who overserves or who underserves. And then what they think you being more balanced would look like. And then implement one of their suggestions. Some of you are like, I don't know that I need to ask my family if they think I overserve or underserve. I could probably guess that right now. But you aren't really sure what to do about it. And that's the process that you may need to work out with your family. But I want to tell you this. To those of you among us that are over-servers, I, I think God wants you to know that you are responsible to take care of you. And if you don't, you will lose the ability to care for anyone else. And some of the most bitter, angry, frustrated people that I know are some of the people that started off with the biggest servant hearts and they tried to do too much without realizing that it wasn't all supposed to be on them, that they were a part of something bigger than themselves, whether it was a family, a workplace, an organization, a committee, and that they were responsible, not all the people around them to take care of them so that they then had the reserves to care for the people around them. And I gotta tell you, if you are over-serving, over-committing, over-investing, and you feel that doing damage to you and even the way you're doing what you're doing for the people around you, only you can change that reality. It's time for you to admit that. It's time for you to maybe change the way you organize your life so that you can take responsibility for your story. And it does mean that you may do less for the people around you. But here's what it also means, that the less you do for them, you will do way better and from a place of health, which is what God intends for you. Now, for the rest of you that are under service, I want you to understand, I think God wants you to understand that your life isn't just about you. And if you make frequent demands of others, but few sacrifices for others, you're using not loving. And some of us are in this cycle where we feel entitled for other people to do everything for us. And we don't question the fact that we've let other people care for us in ways that we ought to be caring for ourselves. We've never asked them if they need any help, if they're doing too much, if there are things that they're doing for us that honestly we need to learn how to do 
for ourselves. And I gotta tell you, you do not want to be a user of people. You wanna be a lover of people, especially the people closest to you. And here's the thing, I don't think that most of us who do this are doing it on purpose. We don't realize it's who we've become. And this is why it's helpful to look at your life and be honest about how much you're contributing to the lives of the people around you. To say like, what is it that you need from me? How can I help? How can I serve? What can I do? You know you don't have to do this all by yourself. Teach me, instruct me, show me. I'm not gonna get it right the first time, but I would love to take this burden off your shoulders to demonstrate how much I love you. Help me help you. And this is what I wanna pray in your life today, that as you have discussions as a family, as a friend group, maybe even as employees, that you would be honest about where you're really at, what you've really done, and that you would take responsibility for your story and that you would love yourself and those around you better as a result. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? I just wanna pray this into your life today. Father, I'm so grateful for your love, grace, mercy, investment into each of our stories. And we all find ourselves in relationships that we entered into thinking that maybe it was going to or it should work a certain way. And there is inequity in every relationship because we're different people. We have different levels of energy. We notice things differently. We have different capacities. We have different skill sets. God, I pray that you would help us to see each other clearly. God, I pray that you would help us to have compassion for what those around us are carrying, that we would lean in, that we would be people who encourage and appreciate, that we wouldn't be people who take for granted, that we'd be people who see the sacrifices that are being made on our behalf, that there would be a sense of gratitude for it. God, I pray that you would help those of us who are overextended, who are exhausted to be honest with the people around us, to not just hold it in and push it down of like, this is too much, it's too difficult, I can't carry it all by myself. God, those who really genuinely love us would rather we be honest and get help than hide and burn out. And God, I pray that we would take ownership of our story that we would take responsibility to adjust our schedule, our expectations, the way we live our lives in order to both care for ourselves and those around us. God, illuminate to us where our personal life is out of balance and give us your insight, your courage, and your ability to correct it, to love ourselves and to love each other just like you have loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. 
We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.